Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this episode, we'll be entering into the stories of 1954 with uh, the present, a present for Pat. This is, um, I don't know the exact order of publication because there was a bundle of stories he published in January 1954, and that's actually been true throughout this, this series. Um, so it's roughly in chronological order, but I, you know, I don't know exactly like the dates some of these came out or were put on print. But this one, uh, a present for Pat, uh, coming off of the very bleak and, and somber and politically serious story, uh, The Hanging Man, or The Hanging Stranger, sorry. The pre- a present for Pat is very light. It's a fant- fantasy story. It's about religion. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's just a much more light and... Um, I wouldn't say uplifting. Uh, there are some serious themes here, but it's 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 a funner story than than the previous one. It was published in Startling Stories in January 1954, and I think this might be the first time he published in Startling Stories. You can now find it in the second volume of the Collected Works of Philip K. Dick, the We Can Remember It For You Wholesale volume. So what is this story about? Well, our, our main character is a man named Eric Black. He returns from a business trip to Ganymede with a gift for his wife, Patricia. So right away we have a couple common Phil Dick tropes here. One is a marriage uh, that's almost long distance because of work, a long commute. Uh, often we have workers going to Ganymede or other... Ganymede is a pretty popular place for Dick to send his, his characters. The reason for this is not because it's particularly suitable for life. There are other moons out in the outer planets that are a little bit more promising to have some form of life. But I think Ganymede was the biggest one, so it was for the most likely in Dick's mind to be settled by by humans. So anyways, he returns from this trip. He brings her this present, and it's a Ganymedean god. And he says it's a god itself. It's not an idol of a god, but an actual god named Tine Kuno Avalopapapo. It almost got a Pacific Island kind of sound to me. I don't know the origin of, of this term. But so this is really shocking. You know, imagine someone says, I brought you this foreign god. And you assume you're going to get an idol or an image of this god. But no, it's, he says it's the real god. Alive and well, Eric and the de- de- deity uh, discussed many issues while on their um, trip to Earth. The god said he wanted to see Earth and therefore forced his worshippers to sell him to a very low cost to a Terran. So he had that power over the local worshippers. So there's people on Ganymede now. I'm not sure if they're humans who have been there a while and kind of went frontier. And so they're a little bit different than the people like Eric Black or if they're actually like alien natives. I think they're probably aliens. And he explains that they give a sacrifice to the god through a cup he's always holding in his belly. So he sort of looks like an idol with this cup. And I, I'm even thinking of these these Chinese sort of deities that stores will have. And you're supposed, you know, there's a good look. They're for businesses. They're kind of good luck. And there'll be a coin on them or something. So, you know, you're supposed to actually sacrifice to this god through the cup. 
And after the sacrifice, he, he begins talking to them and they, they actually do this ritual and the God starts talking to him. Um, so Tino, this God, Tino Kuna Avalapapo, explains to Patricia that he is a benevolent weather God. And Patricia is, is totally flabbergasted. She's in real disbelief. She doesn't even believe in God. She doesn't trust the concept of God. So here you have a real live God talking to her. She's a bit shocked. Eric's colleague, Thomas Mats Maston, arrives and is also introduced to the God. He's very interested and he asks for an explanation of the first cause problem. So he goes right into theology. So that's what, you know, I don't know if that's what I would do if, the, if I ran into a God. Um, but I think it's funny that that's what this guy does. He, he immediately starts to ask for explanations about all of the, the proofs of God's existence and disproofs that you learned in that you learned in your intro philosophy class. So, of course, one of the big arguments, I guess it's both, it can be used both for and against the existence of God as the first cause problem, right? That So everything that exists must have a cause. So therefore, there must be a God at some point at the end of the line. But others turn around and say, well, that just means that God needs a cause because if God exists, he, he needs a cause. The God deflects this by explaining that God's inhabited a different plane of reality. So I don't know if that's a very satisfying answer, but it perhaps works. And then they pass, uh, when they pass through to a lesser continuum, right, like Earth, or a lesser plane of existence, they're worshipped as gods, he says. Matson says that's not really, he's not really a god, therefore just like a, a real powerful alien or a superior life form from this different plane of existence. And in response, the god turns Matson into a toad, proving that he can manipulate matter. Eric, Eric urges the god to turn him back, but he thinks that a couple centuries as a toad will do Matson some good, so he kind of dooms him to this lifetime, or several lifetimes as a, as a toad. Pat and Eric begin to turn on the deity for disrupting their family and their social life. The god then turns Patricia into a stone, and the god asks about Eric's company, asking if his boss, whose name is Horace Bradshaw, is a local deity. Eric receives a call from Bradshaw asking him and Madsen in immediately. He gets in the cab with the Madsen toad creature and prepares to explain what happened to Madsen. So Eric arrives in the office and tells Bradshaw, his boss, how Madsen was turned into a toad. I, I guess, what else can you say? He doesn't try to come up with any excuse. Bradshaw describes the situation to Jennings, who's a company biology researcher. And he's charged with returning Mats into human form, and he takes the toad into the lab and takes him to the back. He's going to experiment on him, or, uh, experiment on him or, or whatever. Bradshaw then immediately fires and then even promises to blacklist Eric, making it difficult for him to get jobs elsewhere. On the way home, so I guess he's going back and forth between Ganymede. On his way home, Eric discusses the situation with the robot cab. And the robot cab's a nice Philip Dick invention because it gives the characters people to talk to during these commutes. And one of the most famous scenes in all of the Philip K. Dick literature is at the end of Now Wait for Last Year, which is between a, a person and a, and a robot cab. The cab mentions that robots have worse problems than humans, which is something you actually, you often get good advice from these robot cabs in, in Dick's novels. It's kind of fun. Um, I don't see some, not so many robot bartenders, though. You'd expect more of those, but robot cabs is the thing he uses. So Eric goes back and feeds the god and confronts him on his recent actions. So he feeds him, sacrifice, whatever, gets him to wake up, and then he confronts him on what he's doing. 
And with some understanding, the god turns Patricia back into human form. And when asked about re restoring Madsen, the god explains that his omnipotence is limited to a local area. He really can't reach that far. But he proves that he can convert any matter. He creates some gold and platinum to help Eric get through the period without his work. Since he's going to be fired, he only needs some money, so he just creates some gold and um, precious metals out of thin air. Eric then develops a plan to convert Madsen back to a human form by driving the god past Terran metals. Before they can go out, the police, guided by Jennings, they arrive to arrest Eric for importing an alien to Earth. With the god's help, Eric manages to hold the police for a while. But the situation quickly becomes dire. Eric proposes a deal where the god will turn Madsen back to human form, return to Ganymede, and Eric will get his job back. Bradshaw, who's accompanied the, the, who has accompanied the, the siege, agrees. The god transforms Madsen, but Bradshaw betrays the government and orders Eric's arrest. The god identifies Bradshaw as Narl Dolk, another deity, in disguise. After a brief battle, Tinu Kwane Avarpapo, Eric's god, defeats Nardolk, Eric's boss. And when Eric's present for Pat is gone, he promises to get him uh, a new one. He promises to get Pat a new, new present that um, won't cause so much trouble. All right. So I guess Ganymede was a business trip. His company's actually on Terra. Yeah, his, his, it was a business trip to Ganymede. Sorry about that. Anyways, as always with these Philip Dick stories, the details of the plot aren't nearly as important as the as the analysis we give them. I don't know, you almost have kind of a, a monkey's paw kind of thing where someone goes on a trip and brings back a, a present that has some magical powers but causes all sorts of trouble and, and is more trouble than it's worth. Of course, in the monkey's paw, you get the three wishes, but they're always misinterpreted in ways that are horrible. It's a good story. You should read that one. But at its heart, a present for Pat is a thought experiment, one of several thought experiments that Dick uh, explores, looking at the naturalistic origins of religion. For all of the focused writers and people, fans and others, have given to Philip K. Dick's like later Gnosticism and his interest in religion and the valid stuff and the exegesis and all this massive work on on religion that he, he's done his early stories tended to be interested in this question of can i find like a science fictiony can i find a naturalistic explanation about why a religion might have emerged right so if we go back we have stories like the skull and the skull it's a, it's a time traveler is essentially jesus jesus is a time traveler who is who's killed for some other reason but you know, his, his a cult builds around him. Now, of course, in the skull, the character's not literally Jesus, but he, he's kind of a fill-in for a Jesus-like character. And then we have a story which also written in 1954, which we'll look at probably in a few weeks, called Prominent Author, which really looks at the origin of revealed books. And that's explained away using technology as well. Um, there are a few others. I think it's called Strange Eden, which, which does that. I think even... Um, what's it called? I can't believe I forgot it because it's such an important one. Um, Piper in the Woods is also kind of looking at it like the origin of a kind of a religious worldview. So this is a, something he's doing a lot. He's not, he never really sees religion as a real thing in these early stories. I can't think of any examples 
uh, where that where that is. So here we have gods that are just run of the mill entities from another dimension. They come from an alternate universe and it gives them complete power over our reality. They have some naturalistic limitations like space, but basically they can do whatever they want, which makes them look like gods, right? And this god even gives gifts, right? Give money, makes money and can do favors and things. And it reminds me actually a little bit of the cargo cults. The cargo cults were religions that emerged out of really, I think mostly in the Pacific Islands where what Europeans would come or Americans would come and, you know, trade with the local people. And this might be one of the first contacts these islands had had with the West or one of the few. And they would leave trade goods and buy supplies with the locals. From the European point of view, it was just a, a commercial transaction. But over the generations after that, these things that got left behind became religious in the foundation of, of cults, religious cults. And, you know, that might be a little bit of what's going on here. These gods kind of enter our realm and do things and then go back to their realm. But what's left behind is the belief in, in their power. It's a fairly clever explanation about why different societies throughout history have had different gods with different abilities and different powers. But given the history of religion, there, this is much more believable than maybe a single truly omnipotent god who seems to have a lot of trouble getting his message right, right? You have all, you know, if, if there is a single God who's been delivering all these messages, then every culture seems to be getting it wrong because there's so much diversity about what the message from God is. So a lot of more local gods seems more plausible, at least when you, if you want to explain through supernatural means the, the history of religion. Still, cultural diversity is, is a much better explanation, of course. You don't need these odious ancient aliens and that's another point of it. These gods are pretty, pretty odious, pretty run-of-the-mill, not that interesting. Yeah, they have these powers, but they're petty, they're greedy, they want sacrifice, they have their own personal vendettas that they're fighting, they, they take things out on humans, they, they play with humans, they mistreat them because they can. They're, they're not, there's nothing good about them. There's nothing benevolent about them. As with many of Dick's stories, what's most interesting is not the main plot line, but the context, the social context of the story. In A Present for Pat, we have Eric Blake, who's oppressed by a variety of forces. His wife certainly contributes to his chains. Now, this isn't fully explored, but we can sniff the unhappy marriage a mile away, and we have it here too. But it's this authoritarian boss who's proven to be a god himself is a much more odious of the two chains. He's also burdened by the need to be liked and respected by his peers. He tries to impress Madsen with this alien god he illegally imported to Earth. And as things get work, he's eventually driven to begging for advice and recognition by a robotic cab driver. Even acquiring the god in the first place seems motivated by Eric's quest for respect and legitimacy among his family and his peers. So Eric comes off as a very weak and fr fragile and very um, suppressed individual, always looking for, you know, the, it's not even they just, he just, it's not even that he just wants the respect and admiration of the people above him. He wants respect and admiration for everyone, even people who maybe are below him on the social hierarchy. Now, the fact that the head of Terran Metals, his boss, is a malevolent god needs little interpretation. Dick's anti-capitalism and anti-authoritarian position is very much presented in the works of 1954 and even in 1953. But in 1954, he comes out much stronger with some of these uh, 
anti-establishment messages. Most bosses, if not actual gods, like to think of themselves that way. And we, we certainly can't help but imagine that the world and Terran metals specifically would be better places without gods, without these gods getting in their way. Um, there are theories about this. I, I think I, I searched for articles about this kind of gods as aliens ideas. And, and there is a few posts. I mean, they're, they're just kind of fun and probably we shouldn't take them too seriously. But the theory that like all the Hindu gods were perhaps aliens who came, came down, these kind of ideas exist out there. So you can go survey them and, and look them up if you want, if you're interested in them. So not too much else to say about A Present for Pat. I think its main heart is about trying to explain where this diversity of religions come from. So I guess that's it. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, did you read uh, A Present for Pat? What did you think of it? Is there anything I missed? I, I'm always looking for themes that and these stories that I missed because often we can look at Philip Kiddick from multiple perspectives and, and, and get different points of view. So um, I'll see you next time, and we'll be continuing with the stories of 1954. You're seeking new friends And paying a price for your laughter You're always running You don't even